Amen. How are we doing? Uh, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here. Glad you're with us today. It's our fifth Sunday. We mentioned that at the very beginning, but uh, so we have our upper elementary kids who so will be joining us in the 9 and the 11, and we're glad to have you, elementary, upper elementary kids, joining us today. I uh, wanted to continue uh, just to have uh, some testimonies, just sharing a little bit more with you about the Brazil trip, uh, you know, putting the dates on your calendar. Uh, I think it's the third week in March next year. We'll be leaving uh, around March 15th uh, to travel to, March 14th, 15th to travel to Rio, hopefully, Lord willing. Uh, we've been reading about that in Ecclesiastes, but hopefully, Lord willing, somebody from this church will be going uh, to, to work again over spring break next year uh, to uh, partner with Restore Brazil. But I want to invite my friend Steph up and let her have a few moments just to share with you a little bit about her experience on the trip. And uh, yeah, there you go. Um, hi, everyone. So like Chris said, my name is Steph. And first of all, I just want to thank everyone for their support and prayers for getting our team to Brazil. Um, as many of you probably know, about half of the team was on support, myself included, because we're in full-time ministry. So it definitely was um, such a provision and blessing from God that we were all able to be fully funded as a combination between our group and personal fundraising. So um, over our spring break in Brazil, we worked with a local church in Angra dos Reis, and it was actually my second time going on a trip along with a few other girls. Um, obviously, Chris and Crystal have gone before, and there were a couple of other people who had gone for the first time. Because Redeemer has an existing relationship with a church you work in Brazil, it opened doors for us to encourage and love on our friends in Angra. Our friends at that church had a difficult year, both from a personal and ministry level, and uh, ministry in itself can be pretty isolating, so especially in the early days, I think the church plant was maybe a few years old, I don't really remember, but um, I think because Redeemer is able to consistently come for a couple of years, it really provided a sense of encouragement for the church. Not because we're perfect, but because God cares for and loves his people. Um, one of our friends who's a missionary in Brazil, her name's Jessica. She said that she appreciates when people come multiple times. I remember I was telling her, I'm like, oh, I feel insecure for going twice. But she was just saying how um, seeing people repeatedly come back is such an encouragement to her and the people of that church plant. Um, while the church in Brazil we served at can tell you how they benefit from our visit, I can definitely say that as people going on that trip, we benefit from it as well. I think we have a lot to learn from the church in Brazil because they really value personal time. They really um, love to worship God and really love and cherish time we have with one another. So that's definitely something that I learned from them. Um, I think also one of my favorite moments was getting to worship with our friends in Brazil. It was really beautiful, um, worshiping in both English and Portuguese. And I think that's a beautiful representation of what we have to look forward to. Um, so thanks again for your prayers and support, and if you have the opportunity to go to the Brazil trip in the future, I would encourage you to do so. Awesome. Thanks so much, Seth. Appreciate it. Yeah, the, her words capture greatly uh, that uh, the, the, uh, the, well, our heart in having a mission trip opportunity at all, and, and particularly the, the partnership we have with Restore Brazil, with uh, the church, uh, Hedgy is what it's called, uh, Hedgy Church in um, Angredos Heche, uh, is more, uh, it's not about an experience as much as it is about a relationship and a partnership in the gospel, and it, it really is a rich blessing uh, 
for us as a congregation, not even just those who get to go, have had the opportunity to go in the past or will have the opportunity to go in the future, but, but for all of us as a church to be partnered together in relationship to see the gospel go forward uh, throughout the world. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to hopefully continue to take more of you next year uh, with us as well. Um, I just want to continue to, to share and, and, and invite your prayers as we make our way here closer Sunday by Sunday to Easter Sunday, um, the, to be praying first and foremost about who you will invite, who you might ex- extend an invitation to come with you to worship together on that Sunday. There's a reality that there are certain Sundays in the year that uh, doors are a little bit more open in people's hearts and minds to receiving invitations to come to church. Um, and, and we do well to seize those. We do well to seize them all the time, but especially to leverage opportunities when people might be a little bit more open actually coming uh, to, to be intentional about praying about neighbors, coworkers, friends, fellow students. Who can you invite? Who can you be praying for right now that they might receive that invitation and come with you, that they might hear the gospel, that God might grip their hearts and, 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 and transform their lives? Uh, so be praying about that. Also, for those of you who have uh, come to Christ, uh, whether recently or a long time ago, uh, you've, you've made a profession of faith, but you've never taken the step of, of being obedient in baptism. Uh, there'll be an opportunity on Easter Sunday to, to do that. Uh, we'd love to celebrate uh, your baptism with you. And so if, you're, you're, if that's you, uh, you have questions about that, or you're like, yes, I need to do that, uh, please reach out to one of the pastors, Pastor Jesse, Pastor Matt, myself. We'd love to meet with you, talk with you, just get you prepared for that, learn more about your story, and, and then celebrate with you on April 21st. Well, the, the common mindset, I think, in, in our world often uh, is that as history moves uh, forward, humanity is, is simply advancing. Right? It's, we're, we, we began with this really unpromising beginning. This is the world's mindset. This unpromising beginning, uh, and, and everything is increasingly filled with promise. In general, we're getting better, we're getting smarter, we're gaining more control, technology's advancing. Uh, it may seem that to, to some that you know, maybe we're only a few, a few major discoveries away from utopia, Right? Near utopia. After all, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Right? That's what we're told all the time. But the Bible presents a vastly different view of history and humanity. The Bible tells us instead of a very promising, the most promising beginning. Life in the garden before the face of God. Basking in, reflecting His glory back to Him. Enjoying perfect relationship with God and one another. The Bible replaces the myth of humans endlessly advancing and getting better with the reality of the fall. The perfect beginning is wrecked by our sin, our our selfish rebellion, our sinful pursuit of immortality apart from God results in alienation and wickedness. The Bible acknowledges, yes, there's technological advancement. Things advance in some of those ways, But it's also honest that with that advancement comes increasing opportunities, increasing sinfulness and evil. The the world believes that we we look ahead to limitless possibilities, uh, stretching into the future while the Bible speaks of a sudden ending, a consummation, 
where Christ returns to judge the living and the dead and to usher in the fullness of his kingdom and his glory. Any ideas of you and I being in control of our own destiny are are simply delusional, is what the Bible tells us. Our attempts at grabbing a hold of life, uh, of making a life for ourselves, are futile. The tighter our attempt to grab hold, the more we find that it slips through our fingers and slips away. Wisdom, the preacher tells us, calls us to adjust ourselves to reality. We are not in control. We are limited beings. And the way to find life is by losing it. That's what we're going to see in our text today. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. And let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we, we thank you for this time to, to gather together, to sit under your word. Lord, we pray that your spirit would open our hearts our, our ears, our eyes, to see you, to see your goodness, to see your, your, your gracious generosity extended to us. Lord, would you help us to see the path to, to real abundant life, a path that, that involves giving life away, opening our hands, being generous, seeing our limits. Lord, help us to see things as they really are and help us to live for you in every way. I pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. You're probably noticing we, we, we've jumped forward from chapter 9 to chapter 11. Uh, I do know how to count. Uh, 10 comes in between there. Uh, we, we've, we also passed a couple of verses at the end of chapter 7 a few weeks ago. Uh, the, the reason for that is not that we are trying to be neglectful of any part of God's Word in that, but rather in, in walking through wisdom literature, it's a little different than walking through, say, an epistle of, of uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, uh, a gospel account. Uh, we really wanted to kind of give you the big picture, the main ideas of the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and uh, chapter 10 is, is full of much wisdom, but a lot of the rest of the book uh, kind of touches on aspects of that and pulls it in to those different places. And it kind of reads in chapter 10 like almost like independent, like almost Proverbs kind of going through. 
and, and it's hard to tie all that together functionally as a, as a preacher. So I'll just be honest with you, I'm limited. Uh, so we're doing what we can here. But but want to give you the, the big picture ideas uh, of what Ecclesiastes has. Uh, we're not ashamed of anything in there or, or trying to ignore it. But uh, the preacher here in, in, in uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 8, uh, highlights for us kind of the way to embrace life by, by knowing your limitations, uh, by living generously, and ultimately by losing your life. Uh, first, the preacher calls you to embrace life by knowing your limitations. And these verse or, verses are, are a reminder that you and I, we are, we are limited beings. We are limited creatures. You do not control your own destiny. It doesn't mean you can't make plans and you can't strive after those plans, but you don't have control over what will happen, what won't happen. Too often we assume, we've talked about this before, that what is uncertain is absolutely certain. That just because we're making plans, they will, by our declaration, come to pass. But you and I, we are not really in control. Once again, the preacher is trying to help us come to terms with with reality as it really is. There are things that you don't know. There are things that you and I, we can't know. To expose the reality of our limitations, Solomon points out three things in particular in this passage that that we don't know. First, he tells us, you don't know what the future holds. You don't know what the future holds. The preacher says plainly in the last part of verse 2, For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. And he continues in verse 3, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. In other words, while certain things are seemingly inevitable, right? We see a bunch of rain clouds and and we, we assume it's going to rain. And generally, that's what happens. Or like most of this winter, which apparently is extending longer and longer and longer, it's Sunday, so therefore it's going to snow. We can pretty much just count on that. Like uh, there's going to be snow in the forecast every weekend uh, around Sunday. Uh, not really. But, but there, there are things that are seemingly inevitable that follow their course. But other things are completely unpredictable. You never know when disaster might strike. I mean, no one gets in their car and, and heads on down the road anticipating, today's the day I'm going to be in a traumatic car uh, accident. The preacher says, you don't know when, when that tree will fall and which way it's going to fall. But when it does, that's where it'll, that's where it'll fall and that's where it'll lie. Life normally follows a routine and a pattern to be sure, but ultimately it's impossible for you to know what will happen. You know, I think back... Uh, very many moons ago, uh, in my uh, eighth grade civics class, I didn't go home this one day from school thinking that the girl sitting next to me, I'll never see her again. But the next day I came to school and we all learned that she died in a car accident the night before. Disaster strikes when you're not expecting it. You don't know what the future holds. You can't know what the future holds. We understand that when we stop to acknowledge it, it's obviously true that we don't know the future. But as we talked about last week, we too often live as if the opposite is true. We're, we're, we more often live as if we're certain what, what the future holds for us. Like, as long as we do it, I've made plans, therefore they will come to pass. 
we would do well to heed these words from the preacher and these words from his like-minded brother, the Apostle James, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. James says very similarly, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Those are wise words. Solomon and James both call on you to embrace your limitations. You do not know what the future holds. You cannot know with certainty. Second thing that the preacher points out, you don't know how to do what only God can do. Or another way to say it, it's impossible for you and I to fully understand and comprehend all the ways that God works Verses 4 and 5, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The movement of the wind and the formation and development of life in the womb are deeply mysterious works of God. And don't miss in those words that once again, the scriptures affirm that life in the womb, the unborn fetus, is a sacred life created by God. It's not a mass of tissue. It, It is a life created by God. Don't miss that. But the preacher wants you to see, though, that 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 you are limited while God, He is limitless. He is unbound. His ways are beyond your comprehension, your understanding. Similarly, we see this beautifully and powerfully expressed in the book of Job. When, when God speaks to Job in Job chapter 38, verse begin, well, several passages here we're going to walk through real quick from chapter 38 of Job. God says to him, verses 4 and 5, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Jumping down to verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? And then jumping down to verses 31 through 35, God says to Job, Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinance of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. At every question, Job is left without an answer. And yet for every moment, that every answer, every time Job says, I don't know, God alone is able to say, say, I know. I know. Pastor and author David Gibson uh, writes and is helpful in this and understanding. By taking him on a tour of the edges of the world and the heavens, God educates Job about the unfathomable depths of divine knowledge compared to what human beings can grasp with their tiny minds and faulty sense organs. 
God is asking Job, if you can't know what I know, how can you level charges against me based on what you know? And Solomon is showing us that the way to truly embracing life follows the path of being content with not knowing. To be content that it's impossible for you to ever know enough to gain control over the world, to gain control over your life and what will happen. That it's impossible for you and I to ever figure God out completely, even in eternity with God. Eternity, never-ending time. We will never fully comprehend the depths and the wonders of who God is and how He works. It's foolishness to try to pretend to know it all or to try to learn it all for yourselves. It's not foolish to learn, but to think that you can learn it all. That's foolish. It's wisdom to embrace the limits of what you can't know. The third thing the preacher says you can't know is whether your various labors will succeed or whether they will fail. Verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. No one generally wakes up and says, I hope I fail today. Right? That's not generally the, the mindset that most of us have. No one says, I'm taking this job and I hope I lose it. You know, I, I hope that I make no money and it all goes bankrupt. I hope I fail. But there's a reality that we do not know how our labors will actually turn out. There's no guarantees, right? You plant that garden in the springtime, but you don't really know if it'll grow. Maybe the seeds are bad. Maybe the, the soil is bad. Maybe the weather won't cooperate. You take the job with all of its prospects, but you do not know if it will result. You don't really know if it will result in a climb up the ladder or if the economy will take a downturn and you'll end up laid off, out of work before you ever really got started. Success and failure are vastly unpredictable. And the preacher confronts us one more with our, our limitations by showing us how much we don't know. But his point is not that we, we, this should lead us to, to go run and hide away somewhere so nothing bad will happen to us. That, that we just sit around fretting what might possibly happen. He's not encouraging us to either try to just grab a hold of all that we can that's right in front of us. Holding on to it as tightly as we can. Rather, he shows us that the path to embracing life involves embracing your limitations. And that should lead us instead to embrace life by living generously. By living generously. Instead of trying to grab a hold of everything you possibly can for yourself, instead of hoarding away just in case disaster comes, the preacher calls us to embrace life by living generously in the moment right before us. By holding all that comes our way with open hands, with open hands, giving generously and freely to others. The answer to uncertainty is not to hide away. The answer isn't to try to avoid failure by simply not doing anything. No, this is what the preacher says, verses 1 and 2. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. These words uh, are, are obviously a little bit cryptic here. Uh, what are we supposed to make of this image of a bunch of soggy bread? Right? But there's a little clue here. The word cast 
in verse 1. Cast, or literally, send out. Right? Send out your bread. Or the word give in verse 2. You have bread, you're told to send it out. You have portions and you are to give it to seven or even to eight. And those numbers are, are a way of saying that, that you are to give generously. The, the number seven, of course, in the Bible is the, the number of perfection. But you're to give to seven or even eight. The, the overabundance in, in your generosity is what is in view here. Not simply just giving perfectly, but giving beyond that. Giving overabundantly. This is talking about generous, generous living. There's a reality that the uncertainty of what happens and what will happen involves risk. But that risk is not meant to paralyze us with fear. Rather, it's meant to free you to do what you do with, with, with generosity. To do it generously. You don't know when disaster may come. You and I don't know when disaster may come. So be prepared for it by giving generously while you have opportunity to give generously. To give of yourself, to give of your time, to give of your space, to give of your treasure while you can. This isn't the way that the world thinks. This is reverse of how the world operates. But this is biblical wisdom. Jesus himself speaks of this kind of wisdom by sharing a powerful, powerful parable that, that gives a vivid picture of the person who does not understand this, a person who lives foolishly, hoarding for themselves. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. Jesus tells them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus points out that one of the greatest errors you can make is, in thinking about your life is, is thinking about your life, thinking about your possessions, thinking about your wealth as if you know you can predict the future. You can't. So Jesus instructs, be rich toward God right now while you can. Don't store up the treasure where moth and rust destroy. Store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. The Bible absolutely teaches good stewardship. It's te- it teaches good stewardship of your time and your talent and your treasure. The, the, this is not, these are not words that are saying that it's a sin for you and I to save. In fact, it's, it's wise to save. But it's foolish to hoard. There's a distinction It's foolish to think that your security comes from what you have in your bank account. From the house that you live in. From the paycheck you bring home. From the things that you can acquire for yourself. It is folly to think that that is where your hope and your satisfaction and your purpose and your joy and your comfort and your security will come from. Because life is unpredictable. 
Storms of life can take it all away from you in a moment's notice. Markets crash. Houses burn down. People die. So live your life with open hands. Giving generously to God and to others while you can. Investing in what matters to God. Investing in living for His glory. In telling other people about the hope of Christ. Inviting people in. Sharing what you have. Enjoying it. And enjoying the God who gives it to you. With open hands. So that you might truly live. Don't put your hope in what you have and what you can acquire. But in who God is and what He's done. In all of this, a preacher is calling you to embrace life by losing your life. From the opening verses of Ecclesiastes, the preacher has been abundantly clear. There is no gain to be found in living for yourself. There's no gain to be found in pursuing your own comfort. There's no gain to be found in pursuing your own pleasure. No gain to be found in seeking wealth and accumulation and riches for yourself. The uncertainty of life and the absolute certainty of death that it is coming for you eliminates any momentary gain that can be found in living in those ways for yourself. In the end, you and I, we die, we are forgotten, the preacher tells us again and again and again. Seeking to find life and pursuing gain for yourself results in vanity. It's all vanity. It's all the merest of breaths. And the more that you and I, we try to grab a hold of life, the tighter that we try to hold on to it for ourselves, the more that it just slips through our fingers and vanishes like a puff of smoke. The wisdom the preacher seeks to impart, the wisdom the Bible seeks to impart, is that real life is found by losing your life. By losing your life. Life is is found in embracing your limitations. It's found in opening your hands and, and living generously. The uncertainty of life, the certainty of death, they're not meant to paralyze you with, with fear of failure, with fear of impending doom. They aren't meant to leave you in despair, unable to do anything, but rather they are meant to free you to truly live. To truly live, knowing that there will be good days. Where the sun is shining, not today apparently, Uh, there'll be good days, the sun will be out, it'll be beautiful, but there'll be dark days, days of grief, days of loss. You don't know which ones will be which, but even so, there is a way still to enjoy the moment before you. And to enjoy the God who gives that moment to you. The way forward in that is losing your life. Losing your life. Loosening your grip. Opening your hands. Giving up the control that you never really had to begin with. Not sitting on the sidelines. But diving into your work with enthusiasm. Working hard. Even though you don't know whether it will profit or not. Enjoying that work, working hard. The one greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ, he once said this, Luke chapter 9, verses 22, uh, 23 and 24. And he said to all, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus says that the way forward is not to try to hold on to your life, but to give it away. To give it away. He says again, John 12, 24 and 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus says that the way up to glory, the way to true gain, is the way down to suffering. The way of death. The way to find is to lose, he says. The way to get is to give. Jesus is the greatest wisdom teacher there ever was, not just because he says things that that sound a lot like the preacher in Ecclesiastes, but because he, he himself actually does what he says. Jesus gave his own life, his perfect, sinless life lived in your place, obeying God in all the ways that you fail to obey, giving God glory in all the ways that you fail to give him glory. He gave his own life for you. And Jesus' death on the cross for the sins of the world was the ultimate giving away, the ultimate losing of life. That through faith in Jesus, through faith in his life, death, and resurrection, his losing of life gives life to you. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus display the incomprehensible generosity of our God. If ever there was one who deserved to keep for himself, to, to, to grab a hold and say, this is mine, it is our God. Yet he freely gave, he generously gave everything for you. And Jesus, with great joy, he lived, he died, he rose for you that he might give you life to the full, real gain, eternal life with Christ that isn't some far off distant life after you die, but a eternal life that, that begins right here and now. The only faithful response to, to that kind of generosity is an all-in, generous, open-handed living that finds its joy in Christ alone. The only response to Christ's giving of his life for you is to freely give your life unto him, sowing and reaping for his glory and for the joy of others. Remembering these words from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully, whoever gives generously and freely will also reap bountifully. This isn't about if you give your money, then God will fill your bank account. That's not what that's talking about. What it's talking about is if you're open-handed with your life, with your, your money, with your time, with your home, with your relational skills or lack thereof, if you're willing to open your life and invest in others, God will, will bless you with life to the full, eternal life. He'll bless you with himself. 
He'll bless you with rich relationships. He'll bless you with seeing Him transform other people's lives. By opening your home, opening your wallet, opening your time, your schedule, your life to God and to others. And investing freely in His kingdom. Remember the cross. Embrace your limitations. Recognize that you are not in control. You are not God. See your sin and your desperate need for rescue. And see Christ's gracious and generous provision. Let that free you to open your hands and live generously. Let it move you to lose your life and find real life in Christ, living in every way for His glory. The Lord's Supper gives us this vivid reminder of Christ's generosity towards us. A reminder that we can see, that we can touch, that we can taste. And this is an opportunity for us to think on, on Jesus, losing His life for you, right? Giving life for you, life so that you can have life to the full. Think on the wonder, the wonder of that generous gift in Christ's body that was broken represented by the bread in his blood that was shed represented by the cup to pay your debt in your place to extend the invitation to real abundant life in him let it move you as you see how he's given his life for you to give your life more fully unto him believers you're invited to come and share in this meal as we continue to worship today we 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 share in this meal by tearing off a piece of the bread, dipping it in the cup. We offer juice and wine to take as your conscience leads you. The wine is in the glasses marked with twine. If you're not a believer in Christ, this is a meal that is reserved for Christians. And, and, and you don't want to participate in a symbol without knowing the real thing anyway. And so while Christians are coming forward to share in this meal, if, if you don't know Christ, this is an opportunity for you to consider the cross, to consider how Jesus gave of himself, gave of his life for you, how he lived and died and was raised in your place, and to take Christ in faith to respond to that good news. There'll be pastors and prayer responders in the back of the room as we continue. We'd love to visit with you, to pray with you, uh, responding with you if, you, if you're responding to the gospel, to pray with you about the, the things that you're going through in your life, whatever it is, we'd love to visit and pray with you. But let us continue to worship today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time uh, to be with your people, to be reminded of your generosity extended to us. We are so forgetful, so quick to forget all that you have given, all that we don't deserve, and yet you generously, freely give. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts? Would you renew our hearts? Would you equip us to open our hands more and more? To freely give and lose our lives for the sake of your gospel, for the sake of your glory, for the good of others. And let us find that in that we, we truly live in you. We find a life more full, more joyful than any treasure could ever supply. Lord, may you be glorified in us. And may we find our great joy in you alone. For this all in Jesus' name, amen.